The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. For the next 30 minutes of frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction and addicts like myself. Joining me is always some epic risk management and right now, uh, sitting uh, in Las Vegas doing uh, work with the NCAA is our buddy Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you, bud? I'm doing great. Doing great. I uh, was uh, honored to be on a panel yesterday talking with athletic directors from around the country and athletic directors about the importance of education and mental health and prevention of gambling-related harms on campuses. Great. And also happy to have with us this morning uh, from Rhode Island, John, who's not only a gambler in recovery but also now works for the Rhode Island Council on Responsible Gambling, uh, and we're going to get into his story here in just one second. Johnny, good morning. How are you, bud? Good. Good morning. How is everyone? We're doing good. So let's, before we get to the great work that uh, Rhode Island is doing, if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your story, how long has it been since you last wagered? Uh, that would be January of 2001. Wow. All right. So uh, two decades. That's amazing. Congratulations yes. on that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Very proud of you. I know uh, it came with a lot of hard work and great to see you on the other side and now using your life story to pay it forward to help others. Let's get into your story a little bit. How old were you when you first got exposed to gambling? So as far as exposed, you know, pretty early. I, I mean, and it was it was not this big exposure. Let me just what I mean by that is. So, you know, I'm a kid and used to watch football games, you know, with my dad. Right. So um and he he would call, you know, he had a friend, and he would call that friend and make a wager on the game. But it was never anything big, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid hearing the, the term, give me five, five times on Dallas. Well, you know, I learned that five times is $25. So, and I never remember him betting more than five times or ten times. So somewhere between 25 and $50 okay. is, is uh, what he would gamble on. So it wasn't this big exposure, a lot of money. It was just something, you know, uh, along those terms. It really wasn't until I would say, you know, around 18 years old plus when I'm, you know, starting to, you know, I have older friends or teenagers, we're heading into our 20s. We have other friends and older friends and start hanging out together. And, you know, I grew up in a a predominantly Italian-American neighborhood in in Providence. So there were the social clubs, if you were, with some of the older guys. So that's when really I I would say my exposure really accelerated where, okay, it's it's about getting together. It's about gambling. It's about betting the games, betting football. Everybody's got their opinions. That's where it really starts off for me when I when I. When you ask me that question, that's how I feel. I feel really at that point in that 18, 19-year-old range. And in my experience, you know, places like that are geared more towards, you know, sports wagering than, you know, casino games or cards, although you find your way into that world too. But, you know, it starts off, like you said, a $5 bet, a $25 bet. But typically the wagering in those places, at least in my experience, uh, is more about you know, the big game on you know, Saturday or Sunday that guys didn't want to watch together because a couple guys have one side, a couple guys have the other side. There's some uh, you're busting chops back and forth, a camaraderie, and there's a real huge social aspect of it in the neighborhood, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, exactly what you just said. 
It was about the camaraderie. Yeah. It was about, you know, you know, busting chops. It was about, you know, the game. It, it really wasn't about, you know, gambling at that point. It really was about, you know, again, camaraderie, friends, having fun, and all that. Now, I will say that it didn't take me long to stop betting more money than I had any business betting at that right. point. Okay. But the other thing, though, is that at that point, I really, I was only gambling on football. Once football season was over, I wasn't one to bet baseball or basketball or, you know, any of those things. It really was all about football. It was all about the camaraderie. It was all about that, you know, you know, kind of having that also in quotation marks, big wheel type of feeling, you know, right. depending where I was and who I was with and how much I was, you know, how much I was wagering. Well, you know, you know, I want to stop time. you on that because that, that's an aspect of this that Dan and I have not talked a lot about. There are a bunch of people I know personally in my life, and maybe I'm meeting another one right now, where the gambling was legitimately, as you just said, football season. So let's just make it up, you know, September to the Super Bowl, you know, end of January, early February. And I know compulsive gamblers who literally only gambled during a football season were able to stop from February to next September and then right went right back into the action in September. That was unhealthy. And I'm wondering, Dan, if we find now that the compulsive gambler who still limits it to a single season or time of year is uh, no longer the norm or if that still exists. You know, it's interesting, Craig. I, I think about the same thing because you know, back those folks that I knew, the same folks you're talking about, before the age of technology, before passports repeal, before sports betting became more accessible, more markets, football was always the sport that you know the go-to sport, the most revenue, the most handle wagered in the sport of football. But since gambling was now legalized and normalized, and it's been expanding state by state, you're seeing access to markets that we've never seen, and I, I think we'll see let that became, become the case less and less. Whereas in the past, maybe it was harder to get those bets in, harder to make a market, harder to find. I mean, you could find it if you wanted to. We know that. But I think football is always the one, just culturally, um, historically, has always been the case. But I think that's kind of coming down. I think we're just starting to see more year-round gambling because of the market access. Yeah, the other thing, John, I want to get into with you before we get you know to the bottom of the barrel stuff and then come up with recovery and what you do now in Rhode Island you know, when you wager in the environment you wagered in, you know, this uh, what amounts to a fraternity, a social club, neighborhood guys who all know each other and, you know, generational knowledge of one another's families and all that, you also very quickly build a reputation. One guy's the mush, he can't win. This guy has the reputation of always winning, right? This guy's the yes. guy, the quote-unquote, and I hate this term, but the degenerate gambler, a term that's yes. thrown around way too loosely for me. I'm wondering... Right. What was your reputation amongst the guys in your neighborhood? Um, my reputation, and, and I, I wanted, some believe will say this, but I wanted this reputation, was that I was a big, ultimately I was a big player. I bet Got big, and, I, and, and, I, and if I, I paid, I was able to pay, I was able to pay my, my, uh, right. my bet, my loss, and and I also wanted the reputation of being, again, in quotation marks, somewhat of a shop, okay? That, right. You know, I just didn't bet the chalk. That, so, in that other I, words, you I, wanted I, I your, my, your ego is totally out of control, yeah, as mine was, where yes, you wanted to yes. bet the most. You wanted guys coming to you for picks. You wanted to be right. the guy in town that everybody waited to hear what you had to say about a game before they bet it. 
Yeah, I liked I like that feeling. I I, I like yeah. that rep. It, so that, that, that's where where we. When we're at. did it go south for you? Okay, really simple. It went south in the early '90s, around '93-ish, uh, when Foxwoods was built. Okay, so that's. Let me just tell people that for those of you that aren't familiar, for wherever you might be listening to the show or when you're listening to it, Foxwoods is one of the two major casinos in Connecticut, and when they opened up, it opened up an opportunity for a lot of people that could only go to Atlantic City, New Jersey, if they're looking for casino right. games, to actually walk into a place. Uh, and and Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun are beautiful places, but that's what Foxwoods yep. is. Go ahead. Sorry. Right. So, so I went to Foxwoods, and, and I'm going to tell you, the game, and I had never played it before, um, the game that I went right to and, and was attracted to and it started the downfall was craps. The game of craps had all the components that I needed, okay? The action, the fast pace, the, the flow, the everything that you could possibly, you know, want for, to feed my, you know, my personality, my mania, if you will, um, craps had. And there was a very, very quick acceleration yeah. of, you know, gambling, betting, going higher stakes, and then into, I've got, I'm getting to some, some serious problems here. Okay. Finan- financially, that, right? Fi- yeah, financially. Right. You know, um, it, it, you know, craps and the casino life and going into and, and driving there. Ultimately, look, I, I say it all the time. For me, the feeling that I got, that, that feeling in, in your gut, that butterflies in your stomach, that started for me when I put my car in reverse backing out of the driveway. The anticipation <laughs> of backing out, going on the road and heading up to Foxwoods, that's where my high really started. And it went all the way through pulling up to valet, the guys know my name, into the casino, up to the table, all of that. The the least part of of the the whole high of it all was the money. The the money yeah. really, you know, it became it really be, did become secondary. Okay, I mean, I would have I would have I just remember one quick quick night where to my and I can picture it today. To my left was a, a, a restaurant, a well known restaurant owner in in Providence, and I knew him, and I had. I had $3,600 up on a six, and I hit it once, I hit it two, and I remember him looking at me and saying, John, take that down. You hit it right. two times. I had no interest in taking it down. I just wanted to see the number six come up again. I just, it, you know, so it really wasn't at that point about, about money. It was just about strictly action, the feeling, the high – all of that, it was, it, and, and that's really where things went south. And things went south pretty, pretty quickly for, for me, unfortunately, and 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 ended up ended up pretty uh, catastrophic, you know, well, in, in, in my personal we life. We might as well share it. Uh, one quick Foxwood yeah. story, just to give people an idea. When you gamble at the level I was gambling at, you know, I I didn't go to Foxwoods a lot. I I preferred Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. I couldn't tell you why, other than I just felt more comfortable there. But um, I, when I did go to Foxwoods, you know, like, like I did anywhere else, you know, significant wins, significant losses. But I only went there maybe, I'm trying to think, four or five times in my lifetime, six times at most. And I remember one day I, I got a box in the mail. They were trying to get me in, trying to get me in. I was now betting ten, fifteen thousand 15000 bucks a hand, and they wanted my action like everybody else. You know, they knew where I went. If I did go to Connecticut, it was usually the Mohegan Sun. And then I got a box in the mail one day. And I got a gift from Foxwoods. And it was a gift, they claimed, 
not tied to anything, no strings at all, just a gift from us. Love you to consider coming back in. And they bought me a Rolex. And, yep. like, I don't I don't wear watches. Wow. I don't wear jewelry at all other than a wedding ring. Yeah. And wow. I was like, this is unbelievable. I've yeah. only been yep. there four or five times. I got a $25,000 watch sitting in front of me. And they used that, you know, as a way to try to get me in. But before we wow. take our break, what was that catastrophic bottom-of-the-barrel moment or several moments over a period of time that led you to eventually decide that you needed help? All right, so so I mean, let's just get to to yes, the cat. I mean, there were there were a lot of problems. Along yeah, let me just say to people that they, this does not happen overnight. This is for any yeah, compulsive gambler. Right. This is over a so, long period of time where yeah. you become a world class liar and hider. Your family yeah. doesn't know what's going on because you don't include right. them. You will lie to your All wife, your kids, everyone about everything going on in your life. Yeah, and it's a. It's, to be fair, what John's about to share with us is. It is a very slow burn, especially for friends and family members, until we get to the point where we're desperate enough to ask for help. So the story that you're going to share with us, I totally recognize, didn't just happen on one random Friday. This was months and months of Fridays leading up to the inevitable. Go ahead. Right. All those things you just said, you know, check, check mark, check mark, check mark. And then ultimately, you know, um, I had, uh, unfortunately, I, I had an opportunity uh, in, in the work I did uh, to access uh, funds uh, that weren't mine. And ultimately, uh, you know, financial crime is, is, is where, you know, it ended up for me. And once that happened, you know, you know, I, I kind of felt like I turned down a faucet. I did it one time and, you know, and that's going to be that's it. I'll, I'll, I'll pay it back and all that. Once I turned on that faucet, it was over and, you know, ended up, um, ended up, uh, you know, getting in trouble, arrested, charged. Um, I did, I did go, uh, to, uh, I, I ended up getting in trouble. Uh, and, uh, let's see, it was around 1999, 2000. I'm not even sure anymore, but right. at that point, uh, did ended up getting in, in, in trouble. Uh, I was uh, charged um, with obtaining money under false pretenses, and I was sentenced to 10 years with three to serve. And mind you, this is with a wife and two young kids, wow. you know, at, at home. So that was... Uh, that's the catastrophe. That's where it ended. Yeah. All the things you just said went. That was a, the, the trip along the way, ending with that um, piece of uh, the and issue. How, how much? So, uh, how much time did you actually do out of the three? Out of the three, I did a little over two years, and the rest of the the time uh, of those three years on uh, home confinement, and then obviously on um, on probation. Uh, for the for the remainder time for those 10 years. We'll take a quick break. Absolutely. We'll get to the other side. Let John tell the good part of the story right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Hi, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. As always, epic uh, risk management. Our buddy Dan Trelaro and John, who's in Rhode Island. Uh, when we left there, John had got a sentence to go away spent two years in prison, and then another eight years on probation. But here we are, you know, 20 years later, and he's no longer gambling. He's no longer, quote-unquote, on paper, which is how uh, you know, prisoners and people in the system refer to themselves. He's off government paper and living a great life. 
Uh, walk us through, if you don't mind, you know, the bottom of the barrel moment just real quick, which I assume is either hearing the words guilty or walking into prison for the first time. And then let's get to how you figured out your problems. What was it like for you, you know, that that one day when you had to surrender? Yeah, um, that that day of, of that day of walking into prison for the first time is, uh, you know, etched in my brain, and uh, you know, and I'll I'll never you know forget it. You know, it's it, it was horrendous, and I you know I'm I'm not too proud to tell you that the first night in prison, I I cried like a baby. Okay, um, you know. <laughs> That, that's bottom line, is, is I yep. cried like maybe the first night. Now, you know, once I got that out, um, I, you know, had to do what I had to do to, uh, you know, to do the time and to, and to make things right. Now, I had a wife and two small kids. I will give my wife a lot of credit. Um, while everyone told her to run for the hills, she stuck by me. She stayed in the game. Right. And I just know, I, I know that this goes against the grain, recovery and all that. But when I tell you I knew in prison, I knew that I was never gambling again. I knew that I was never gambling again, and I never did. Um, now, getting you know, moving towards getting out, what I also did know is that I, because I had some, I had some um, experience in, in the mental health field, and I wanted to get involved with you know the the, the issue. So when I was um, when I was released, I was court mandated uh, to, for counseling, and there was only one program at the time in this state, and it was at Rhode Island Hospital, and it was run by Henry Lessier and Dr. Bob Bob Breen. And Dan, you I don't know if you know or can I get it, but Henry Lessier was like a pioneer in in the the world of problem gambling. Yep, He's written absolutely. like some classic books, and he happened to be a Rhode Islander, and he had this program. And so I did, you know, I had to go to them. And well, when there was two things that happened there. One, I'll never forget, I was surprised at the lack of knowledge they had in, in the arena of certain, like, football gambling terms, um, casino gambling in terms. What they really knew, as far as the gambling piece, like people who were gambling in, in the lingo and the language, they knew a lot about, you know, the video slot machines and the random number generators and all that stuff. But a lot of the lingo that I talked about, they didn't know. And that surprised me a little bit, which brings me, you know, it, it'll, I'll talk about that in a minute uh, to what we do now. But, I mean, they were excellent. Don't get me wrong. They were excellent and, and all of that. Um, they recruited me, so to speak, uh, whole, you know, to get involved with the Rhode Island Council, to, um, you know, to, to work, you know, in, in the field with my story. And was, was there a part um, of you that was reluctant to do it where you had conquered it, you decided I'm not betting anymore, you're not betting anymore, your wife accepted that, and as you slowly re-earned trust amongst your family and friends, was there a part of you that wanted to stay as far away from the gambling world, even though there was this opportunity to be in recovery and treatment, or was it easy to feed in the deep end right away? Yeah, no, I I, I wanted to get into it right away. Um, what what I was reluctant with, and unfortunately was, um, back then when I did first get into it, and they introduced me to the people that I had to, you know, that were involved with the field back then. When I say back then, I'm talking like 2005 you know, or so, to speak. Um, unfortunately, there was a lot of dysfunction in the field here in Rhode Island uh, for a lot of different reasons, but there was a lot of dysfunction, and that definitely, 
I wasn't interested in, and that I didn't need, okay? So um, I stepped out. So I did step out for a while. It wasn't until around 2016, um, so about seven years ago, I got a call from the deputy director of the Rhode Island Lottery, who had, who had met me way back then, right. and she said, we have, we have new people with the Rhode Island Council. We got some programs that we want to start doing. I'd like to, you know, if you're interested, I'd like to have you come back in and at least sit in on a couple of meetings. Um, I took that as a really great compliment, first of all, that she would track yeah, me down sure. after all those years. And I did go. I sat there for three meetings and uh, didn't say a word and saw that there was, uh, you know, a clear path to doing something of real value to help the problem gambler here in Rhode Island. And once I saw that, that's when I really did dive in. And you know. do, you, do you find that in your experience now with the Rhode Island Council, and Dan, I apologize for not including you as much in today's episode as normal. Uh, okay. you know, Dan worked for the New Jersey Council for so long, so he understands what it's like you know, in the job that you're currently in. I wonder, though, in Rhode Island, are you guys finding that it's easy to uh, for gamblers or people who think they have a gambling problem or their families to reach out to you and get the help they need? Or do you find that that's still uh, too long a process from where we want it to be? Well, there needs to be, there needs to be more um, visibility of, of the pro. We need to get more money into, you know, marketing and, get, and getting the word out. But I will say, as far as once they do access the services, right. here in Rhode Island we have a great program. I... I we have a helpline. Once the, once the helpline is, is um, answered, then if the people on the helpline feel as though it's someone who needs to talk to someone right there and then, and they, you know, they're trained to, to know that, they get one transferred over to me. So I'm the, I'm the first point of contact, and I do answer the phone 24-7. So I get a warm transfer. Once I get that person, I'm able to get them assessed and into some sort of, whether it be counseling or peer support, the goal is within 24 to 48 hours. Great. Dan, and, let me and, bring and you we, in here for a second. You know, Dan did it for a long time in New Jersey, and now uh, does similar things on behalf of Epic, you know, on, mostly on college campuses, et cetera, but also talking to leagues and has uh, really always been there as I meet more and more you know, problem gamblers who need help. Dan's always the first person I, I send people to. My question, I guess both of you guys can answer, but Dan, let me start with you. You know, one of, one of my issues uh, in this world with gambling recovery is that we haven't adopted a universal or nationwide plan, meaning Jersey's got their deal, New York's got theirs. They're different. You know, uh, Connecticut's got theirs. It's different. Rhode Island is different. Massachusetts is different. Ohio, it's different. And while I truly believe that the people involved with all these councils mean the best, they're doing God's work, they're into it, they get great satisfaction out of helping problem gamblers, everyone's all over the place. Even the amount of time it took to adopt 1-800-GAMBLER as the national number, to me, was, was crazy. Why can't we come up with a collective where we all agree this is the best way to do it and we're all going to do it so that the level of care is not different based on what state you happen to live in. Sure. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I addressed, I addressed this topic yesterday, Craig, with uh, the athletic directors and, uh, you know, a bunch of media outlets in the room. One of the things I said is I point back to the repeal of passport in 2018 and I know gambling issues have happened way before that. We understand that, but the repeal of passport gave states exactly what they wanted. States' rights, 
And so the federal government said, you want states' rights, you take them. And now it's up to you to legalize how to legislate, regulate, enforce what policies, including support services for people who develop gambling-related problems. We are now further from where a goal of a national um, solution is for the simple reason that each state decides within its borders what will work best. Some states don't have robust forms of gambling. Some don't have iGaming. Some don't have sports betting, sure. right? So one of the concerns we see, and the 800 Gambler as a national helpline is a step in the right direction, but we don't have national self-exclusion lists. We don't have a national set of enforcement no. for when people feel empowered to threaten student-athletes. Thankfully, New Jersey has a very strong enforcement code. Other so what don't. you're saying, and I, I, I apologize, we, we do have to you know, end the show here in a moment, but you, know, you reference self-exclusion. One of the first things I tell young problem gamblers is, you know, have you self-excluded? If you haven't, then you're not serious yet. Because right, it's the easiest right. thing to do. It takes five minutes online to do it. I was under the impression, incorrectly, I guess, that if I self-exclude in New Jersey, that gets carried out amongst all operators nationally. No. You're saying that it not doesn't. Not for every no. operator. Nope. It, not all the time. No. Not for every not operator. For every. God, because nope. I know nope. I know there's a difference between bricks and mortar, and I've famously told the story that I self-excluded online and a week later got a letter from a casino in New Jersey acknowledging that I self-excluded from online wagering and invited me to come in and wager in their building. Right. Yeah. So, look, I could talk to you guys all day. They're yelling at yeah, me to take a break. John, I, first of all, let me say I appreciate you sharing your story, and I love the fact that you're now paying it forward for a number of years and working in Rhode Island. Happy to have you back on to talk more about that the next time you come on. I would love to. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's plan that for the new year for sure. And, Dan, as always, appreciate you coming on. And as we get closer to Christmas, Dan, we got, I think, at least one more show here. I know the yep. holidays sometimes makes it hard for people to walk away from gambling because of, A, the need for money, or be just the need for action, or because the holidays sometimes are not the best of times for everybody. We'll get into that in the next couple of weeks as well. Appreciate both your times very, very much. Thank you for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Craig. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, John. Thanks, Craig. All right. Look, that could have gone on forever, uh, and I look forward to having uh, Johnny back. Dan, if you're still there, always appreciate you, buddy. We'll do this again next week, yeah? That sounds great, brother. You have a great week, man. And a safe uh, trip back. Coming up next, you've got the now infamous Joe Beningo. Is someone going to get in trouble today? We're going to find out. And then regular programming back, of course, here on The Fan, starting Monday morning at 6 with Boomer and Geo. Have yourselves a great weekend, and thank you for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.